0: I want to take just a moment to go back and kind of attach this context of sermon until where I ended last week, if I can, because I chose to go to begin a new series of messages, and that I, I, I began with the ministry of John the Baptist, the the very controversial prophet that emerged upon the banks of the Jordan River. Uh, though his heritage was that of a priest, he chose not to serve in the temple. Rather, his ministry was out in the wilderness, and he emerged from the wilderness into the into more of the uh, uh, the water source of the Jordan River, where his message uh, created response. That response was then met in baptism, water baptism, and his message was was penetrating. It it awakened a culture. John's Baptist, John the Baptist, message was controversial. It was confrontational, but it certainly Uh, Awaken the Heart of the People in Anticipation for the Coming of the Messiah. Last week I attempted to at least put us in the analogy, right, wrong, good or bad, what would it be like if John and his unique prolific ministry was in the modern contemporary church in America, what would he say to us? I know many of you remember that message. And so now today I want to just jump forward a little bit, begin to look at the ministry of Jesus some and see how Jesus and has he come. I want to think about Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry oftentimes is remembered by many as passive. It's, 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 uh, he, uh, the, he, he said it himself in one sense that he said uh, smoking flax, he said he did not quench, a bruised reed he did not break. Uh, some people have the misconception that Jesus was passive because he was gentle. Okay, you can be gentle and still be assertive. Come on, somebody. And Jesus' ministry was uh, more so controversial than even that of John. Now, everybody wanted their sickness healed. Everybody wanted to receive when you didn't have bread and he could multiply bread. Come on. When you could get a free McDonald's happy meal. Come on, somebody and you didn't have to have McDonald's. Everybody uh, appreciated that moment right there. But, but Jesus, it was, his, it was his teaching ministry that was more controversial than anything else because he taught people in such a way that it was not presumed that he might be right or might not be right. He didn't take the stance of, well, let's give this time to see if this works out. He simply taught what he had heard his father speak and he said it in such a way that it was with authority. It was as if it was solidified in the word of God itself and to which it was because he was the word incarnate. And so with that, he he sees this opportunity here to this great multitude of people who were following him because of his miracles and he's healing the sick, casting out devils. He saw an opportunity to address certain areas of their life. Now this, If you read the entirety of this passage here, the 5th and the 6th and the 7th chapter of the book of Matthew, you'll find it's very confrontational. He speaks to the nature of sin. He speaks to sin that's been masked and been hidden. He speaks to hypocrisy, especially religious hypocrisy. Jesus seemed to always be confrontational. He even said it later. He said, if I had not spoken unto you, you would have a cloak for your sin." But because I've spoken unto you, you're out excuse before God. These passages of Scripture speak to this. And when they have heard this this message here, they're simply astonished. They, They can't believe. They thought that he was just always going to be about just simply, you know, making everybody feel good about themselves. And let me tell you, you have to be very careful. He even said that. Be careful when every man speaks good about you. Because we have a responsibility, church family, to be salt and light. We, he had even reproved them because he said in this very passage if the salt, you are the salt of the earth but if you have lost your flavor what good do you have? He said you are a city set on a hill. You should be a light. We have a witness. We have a testimony. We have an experience. We have understood the good word of God. We know what he's done in us. We know what it was like to be a sinner, a wayfaring sinner or a stranger. We know what it was light to understand the nature of sin the craving appetites to sin the shame the condemnation the guilt brokenness broken decisions broken families but then one day we that sat in darkness saw a great light and oh how our eyes were lifted heavenward and we saw the beauty of his countenance and we saw what he did for us on the cross and it moved us to believe that truly in the words of the centurion that was the son of God and he satisfied heaven's demand for blood and he paid the penalty to provide for you and I atonement and therefore we who were afar off are now brought nigh by the precious blood of Jesus Christ it's given us great joy and hope there's an old song they used to sing in the church the joy that I have the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away come on somebody so we have an expression of our faith and so as I as, as I grow and mature in my faith and I look closer at the ministry of Jesus, I, it causes me to ask some questions. Here's a label that I've seen upon the church at times in our modern culture. The church is often labeled narrow-minded now. We're, we're, that Defined means not willing to listen to or tolerate other people's views. Now in reality, that's mislabeling the church because we are tolerant of people's views. We're not out waging jihad against them. I've not seen anybody that I disagree with, that I brought in front of you and in front of the cameras with a knife in my hand ready to silence their voice. I haven't seen that. Have you seen that? I haven't seen that on behalf of the kingdom of God. Maybe a pagan ideology come on somebody, but not what we so we are tolerant in one sense, but in the other sense, at the same time though they say we're old fashioned, though they say we're traditional and we're irrelevant and we're not engaging and and more and we're not embracing the changing culture and we're antiquated, I can't always agree with some of those things. I I want to say this. There probably are some areas in my life and maybe in this church and in the church as a whole that we could be more open-minded. I understand that. There are shifts sometimes that you have to challenge yourself to embrace and cultural changes that you have to to grow with and you have to to, to respond to. But I believe that there are some areas where compromise uh, is a... uh, The compromise of our position is not an option. It's simply not an option. And no matter the that comes from outside or the pressure that comes from within, you know what? It seems to me as if Jesus was pretty narrow-minded. I'm just being honest. You know, in this very passage of Scripture, he said, he said, there's a way, he's almost affirming what was said in the Proverbs. There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is death. Jesus said, straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth to life. Few there be that enter thereat, but broad is the way. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and a lot of people are going down that road. And, and Jesus challenged even his listening audience that day. He said, now you've got to be careful because he said there are even false prophets that will come to you. Now listen to this. Often this is overlooked. We think of a false prophet in the cloak or the attire of a shepherd, somebody in ministry. Jesus said they come to you not attired like a false shepherd. He said they'll come like a false shepherd. Sheep, come on, now you've got to be very careful because everybody even around you may not be saying the things that are consistent with the Word of God. Jesus said, a good tree will be known by what? Its fruit. He exhorted in this passage that the simple profession of faith in Christ. The reality is is 80% or so of Americans identify themselves as Christian. But the reality is, according to the gospel and the way that I interpret the scriptures, not 80% of Americans, are born again, born by the Spirit of God. They have a profession they have an acknowledgement of. They recognize the heritage of America that is Christian and so many people follow the traditional route but they don't necessarily have a living expression of faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus in this passage of Scripture said, you'll know the tree by its fruit. An evil tree can't bring forth good fruit and a, a good tree can't bring forth evil fruit. Now good fruit comes from a good tree in order to become a good tree you've got to have good seed that good seed is the word of God the word of God must be received in the heart not just in the listening ear it's in the heart where change begins come on somebody and once you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth then you become pliable and conformable to the will of God for your life I wrote it this way good fruit is holy living come on Holy living from one who is genuinely born of the Spirit and is being conformed to the image of Jesus. Jesus in this passage of Scripture said this, Not everybody that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father... And so it's important that we understand the will of the Father and that we recognize it and inherit to it and receive it into who we are. There are three areas that I just want you to know that I believe uh, that it's okay to be narrow-minded that I want to talk to you about today for just a few short minutes of time. And the first one is the most obvious. Jesus himself was narrow minded as to this simple principle right here and that is the way to the father. He was very narrow minded. He was not it wasn't debatable with him. He said this in his own words. He said this. He said, "I am the door to the sheepfold." He in this passage that we just read, he said, "I'm in essence, the straight and the narrow way. He said in another passage, no man comes to the Father but by me. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only accessibility that you can have to true relationship with God is through the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. There's no other way. Jesus said, he said, I came in by the door. Now he, he kind of used two analogies back and forth. In one moment he said, I am the door. In another passage, this is in the book of John, the gospel of John, he said, I came in by the door. What he meant was he came in by the door that was through humanity. That mankind in the garden had sinned and transgressed the accessibility that we had unto God. Man was thrust eastward out of the garden Eden and had no longer accessibility to the divine presence of God. But Jesus came born of a woman to provide redemption. He came in by the door. He said the thief tries to create another way and go up any other way to go around the door to get to God. Let me tell you what religion is. Religion is an attempt to find another way to get to God without going through the door. And there are not many doors. This is not like days gone by. I can't remember that old uh, old game show but I remember they had like three doors or three curtains and, and you could choose which one you want. Let me tell you there's one way to God there's one source of accessibility and that is through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and you and I are I'm just narrowed uh, minded enough to believe that when the apostle Peter preached these words he said neither is there salvation in any other name other than the name of Jesus Christ because there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved uh, that it is for you and I to believe and to trust in that that's the only way to access God through faith in Christ. Paul said this, there is one God and there is uh, one mediator between God and man. Here's what he said. God is here, man is there. Man transgressed and was driven away from the presence of God, could not come into the presence of God, couldn't receive of the Holy Spirit in his life. It was inaccessible unto God. Until God in the fullness of time shrouded himself in flesh, in the flesh of his Son, and he provided the atoning sacrifice on the cross, that one man, man Christ Jesus, therefore became the mediator between God and man you say pastor how can I know the one true God how can I have a relationship with God how can I fellowship with God how can I know him more than just the big man upstairs how can I know him more than just some uh, a deity lost in space somewhere uh, how can I truly have a loving uh, relationship covenant relationship and that is through faith in Christ Jesus when you and your heart Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When you humble yourself and accept everything that he did for you, you could in no wise save yourself. We were all as sinners, that we were all as sheep gone astray, but God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So now it's at the point where we simply believe and trust God with all of our hearts and we are therefore born again. Come on now. Now I want you to know the reason why you said, Pastor, well, I already know this. I, but the reason why I'm warning you is there is an unholy attempt to unite faiths of large people groups. Sure. There are some that wants to see the Jew and Islam and Christianity all holding hands on the same platform, swaying back and forth, singing Kumbaya. (laughs) Let me tell you today, let me tell you today, Jesus said, I'm the door. Muhammad is not the door. Judaism is trusting in an antiquated, a form of approach to God that God proved and showed was insufficient, trusting in works. We trust in Christ. One sacrifice offered one time forever. We just trust in the Lord. Come on, somebody. Why are you, Pastor Brown, saying we need to be narrow? I'm telling you that that you're going to begin to see in the days ahead a greater attempt of the world to unite large people groups, people groups of faith to come together Let me say this. While I always believe we come together in respect for one another and respect out of human life and all of those things, but at the same time, light and darkness cannot be united. Are y'all hearing me today? The light must shine into the darkness. Jesus said he was the light of the world as long as he was in the world. But now that he's no longer in the world, he said, you are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. There are not multiple ways to go. There are not multiple paths to God. You can't get to God by confession at a Buddhist shrine. You can't get to God by kneeling five times, facing Mecca and praying to Mohammed. You can't get to God by praying to Mary. You got to get to God by the door. That door is Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross of Calvary. And we have to be narrow-minded enough to say, while I respect your belief, you're not swaying. Are you hearing what I'm saying? My belief system in Jesus' name. Amen. Number two today, I believe that our life philosophy should be shaped by the Word of God. Amen. Are y'all hearing me today? Amen. By the Word. Amen. I'm telling you, Jesus was the Word, but at the same time, in when his ministry as the Son of Man, he loved the Word of God. He loved the Word of God. He said in this very passage of Scripture, don't think that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I've not come to destroy. He said, rather, I've come to fulfill. He said, if anybody takes away jot or tittle from anything in the law until all is fulfilled, he said, that man will be accursed. Jesus believed in and loved and confessed. He called the Word of God the Scriptures. He called it the wisdom of God. Did you know? That the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament, Jesus quoted directly from 27 of those books, or or some even believe further, and then there were, he quoted 78 times from the Old Testament. He lived his life in harmony with and in fulfillment with the scriptures. Jesus reproved the Pharisees or the Sadducees for their lack of belief in the resurrection because they didn't believe in a resurrection. Now, he knew that was a critical missing element to their faith because it wouldn't be long before he would die and be raised again. And you can't have faith in God if you don't believe in the resurrection. Are you all hearing me today? So he reproved them. And what words did he use in his reproof for them? He said, you do err, E-R-E. He said, you do err in that, he said, in that you don't know the power of God nor you don't know the scriptures. I tell you what, I see a lot of people in our culture today, even in the church, who are stumbling because they don't know the scriptures. Are y'all hearing me today? Paul warned of a dangerous time, and I want to show you this. I can't tell you the countless times that I have alluded to this in 12 years, and I want to go back to it today. I want to touch on it. It's in 2 Timothy 3, and I want us to follow it for a few minutes. If we get we're gonna start at the first verse, Second Timothy. But know this that in the last days, grievous or perilous times shall come. Perilous times shall come, for men shall be. I want to see if this describes a little. I don't know exactly when the last days are, but it's our presumed recognition that we're hastening towards something climatic. Right I, I can't set a date or a time, but we're to know a season. It seems in our generation we're hastening towards something climatic. Here Paul says, "Men shall be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. I need the King James English if we can. I'm going to have to go to it because I am trained in King James, and my mind doesn't work any other way because I am narrow-minded. Sorry about that. <laughs> For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Are y'all recognizing some of the culture in which we live today? Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, which is no self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Does that describe the the culture in which we live today? Are y'all hearing me? Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. That means they have a form. They look like what they think they're supposed to look like. They have some of the attire. They have some of the position. They go to particular places. They have a form of godliness. They've memorized certain things. But remember what Jesus said. It's not he who professes. It's he who does the will of God. He said these are those that will creep into houses, and they will lead captives, silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lust. Notice this. They will be ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Are you hearing that today? Ever learning. We live in the most learned time in the history of mankind, and yet men cannot still find the true way to salvation in faith in Christ Jesus. He said, now as Janie, listen to this. This is where there's conflict. There's going to be greater conflict. Conflict between light and darkness. Paul said, In the last days, perilous times will come. Then he makes an analogy to Moses about to lead Israel out of Egyptian bondage. He said, As the magicians, Janies and Jambres, withstood Moses, so do these resist the truth. They're men of corrupt minds. They are reprobate concerning the faith. But Paul said, They will proceed no further, for their folly will be manifest unto all, as theirs also was. That means Paul believed that the truth of God. Would prevail over the lie of the enemy. But notice this, follow this with me. This is a passage of scripture given to young Timothy, a young pastor, that Paul is reminding him of certain principles. And he said, look at my life. Look at this the apostle, this aged apostle. This is one of Paul's last epistles that he would pen. Matter of fact, just a few verses into the fourth chapter, he spoke about his own demise, his own death. He, could, he knew it was nearing. And he's writing an exhortation to Timothy and saying, Timothy, it's time to be strong. It's time to know what you believe. He said, you look at my life, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, my patience, persecution.'" and afflictions came to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Aren't you thankful for a God that can deliver us from persecution? And then he said, but notice this. This is the warning that would permeate throughout the ages, culminating into a very difficult day immediately prior to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. A day when light and darkness, a day when truth and error would come in an ancient conflict and confrontation evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived it's a very deceptive age in which we live Jesus said that the false prophets come to us in sheep's clothing they come with false ideologies and false theologies to deceive even the very elect. you say well pastor how am I going to know right from wrong how am I going to know truth from error is it from simply studying error no if you want to know the distinction between Truth and error. Study the truth, and then when you study the truth, you will immediately recognize the error. Come on, somebody. And the Bible says, "Here's what you're going to have to do. This is for all men everywhere. This is for the young and the old. This is those that are new to the church, or these that have been here for fifty years." He said, "You need to continue in what you have learned and what you have been, and that you have been assured of knowing of whom you have learned them. That from a child you've known more than sponge." Bob Squarepants and Walt Disney and Looney Tunes and Sesame Street. That from a child you've known more than MTV and all the cultural influence. From a child you've known the Holy Scriptures the Word of Almighty God from Genesis at that time unto Malachi but now also from Matthew unto Revelation. From a child you've known the Word of God. The Word of God is able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul said this, all scripture, listen, read it, get it down in your heart. It will liberate you. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. In the Greek, it means God breathed. Jojo, there it is. It's the breath of God. It's pneuma. It's the breath of the living God. The word of God is the breath of God when I need to be reinvigorated, filled with the Holy Ghost, stirred in my mind, gain new strength, lift my countenance up. I go to the word of God. I read it. I meditate upon it. I sing it I shout at it I thank God for it I dance I walk through my house thinking about the principles of the word of God it's given to me it will change me it will correct me if I'm bent over it will straighten me up if I'm out of the way it'll put me back in the right path if I'm about to go down the broad and the wide way it'll put my feet back in the straight and the narrow way it is the word of almighty God hallelujah that's good preaching Come on now. Amen. That the man of God, look at this, that's me and that's you, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's not going to happen unless you put yourself in the situation for it to happen. You've got to study to show yourself approved unto God. Listen, we live in an era of deception. Deception. Deception comes to us on CNN, Fox News, through our universities, through our high school campuses. Deception can come at your family reunion when uncle so-and-so says, well, you don't need all of that in your life. I I just worship God my own way. You worship God. That's fine. You can. But as for me in my house, uh, we're going to serve the Lord. Uh, we trust in the blood of Jesus. Uh, you can have your old good old boy religion if you want to. It'll take you straight to a devil's hell. But as for me, I believe I was lost and undone, couldn't provide atonement. But the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross washed me from all sin gave me new hope and a joy within and so therefore i'm going to trust in jesus he was narrow-minded and i'm going to be narrow-minded and i'm going to encourage you to be the narrow-minded church glory to god lastly today to finish out the equation perhaps even more controversial and i don't mind occasionally being controversial it simply goes with the territory I cannot be a church, and, or I cannot lead a church that's passive, I cannot lead a church that's unafraid to address issues that we have found common to all of us. Are you hearing me today? I cannot be a pastor that lacks the courage to re- speak out and to speak his own convictions. I did it last week. I occasionally do it. But I want to speak to you one more time in this vein for a few minutes before I close today. I believe uh, there is a necessity arising within the church that every Christian must have some measure of a worldview. Do you understand what I mean by that, a worldview? I'm going to add the other uh, portion to that in just a moment. I know that many of you interpret it slightly different. We call it a Christian worldview, but it doesn't start as a Christian worldview until you get the word in you. You can't have a Christian worldview if you don't have the word in you because Christ is the word. And so the Christian worldview must, come on, emerge from the word. The world's population is growing, but the world's getting smaller, isn't it? The world's population is growing, but the media, technology makes the world smaller today. You can be you can go home today and sit on your computer and blog with somebody Are y'all hearing me in Istanbul or somebody in Europe You can sit down and even if you just if you were in New York today you if you had the resources you could buy a ticket and you could fly the Atlantic in 4 hours and land in Paris and have dinner before the sun would set so, the population is growing, but the world is getting sharp, has getting smaller. And so, therefore, as different cultures are suddenly coming together, that used to not, used to things were more divided, but now things are more congested. Is that the truth? Come on, it is. It is the truth. Now, listen to this. I believe we all need a worldview that is shaped. By the word of God. That's my belief. Pastor, you're narrow-minded. Absolutely. I absolutely am. See, Jesus said this. He said, you can discern the face of the sky. He said, you can look up and say, well, this time tomorrow, it's going to be this way because the sky, but you can't discern the time. It was reproof. It's time for us to... Awaken from our sleep. Come on, somebody. The church has been asleep for far too long. He reproved Jerusalem for not knowing the day of their visitation. Now, let me go a little bit further. I know we all need to be aware of the cultural shift in our nation and the world today. Men and women that are in certain positions, both politically and as well as uh, in, in leaderships and in corporations and even at the, in, the, in the universities and in the schools, they don't have the same ideology that once was possessed by many in America. There's a major shift that's taken place. They don't, everybody doesn't look at 2 plus 2 and say it's 4 anymore. Now, I don't know about you, when I see 2 plus 2, I see 4. When I look at a blue and black dress on the internet, I simply say, it's a blue and a black dress. I'm sorry, Sherry. It's not white. It is not gold. It is a blue and a black dress. I wore a blue and a black suit to confirm that to you today in the name of the Lord, just so that you would know. And I'm a little bit narrow minded in that way. I believe in government. Because the word of God, are y'all hearing me? Let's get back on this for a minute. I believe in government. Thank God for it. Well, that was the poorest example of a response. It's better than anarchy. Come on, somebody. It's better than every man doing what's right in his own eyes. Are y'all hearing me today? At the local, the state, and the national level, I remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but render unto God the things that are God's. Did you know when you study the teachings of Jesus, Jesus did not reprove the Roman government very often. Only occasionally, one a time, he said, you tell Herod that fox. Because Herod wanted to hear him. Remember Herod Antipas, who we mentioned last week, who had taken his brother Philip's wife? Jesus said, you tell him. You said, send this word to him. He said, today I do cures. Tomorrow I'll heal the sick. And on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. That's what you tell him. Say, put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's what he said. Come on now, I'm just telling the truth. He said, tell that pagan, that's what's about to happen. I'm doing cures today, I'll cast out devils tomorrow, they'll put me in a tomb, but on the third day I'm going to emerge from the tomb as the king of kings. You think you're the king of Judea, I'm telling you, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so today, just a moment, Jesus himself said, his kingdom was not of the earth. He did not come to establish an earthly kingdom. But he did instruct the church to be salt and light, to be a fragrance of righteousness, to let our good works be seen among men so that they might glorify our Father who is in heaven. I believe it is our Christian duty to pray for governmental leaders. For what purpose that we might live a quiet and peaceable life in all Godliness, there's the key. Not just so we can, you know, go to the movies on Friday night, we can have a casual existence, we can be just as closely rooted to the entertainment culture as the world, but no, so that we can live a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness so that we can extend the saving knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that are around us. Now, in days gone by, i 've made statements that i 'm going to do my best to clarify in closing today this morning here 's the statements that I want to talk about briefly: America is unique, founded almost exclusively by Christians and upon biblical principles. Last week, I had to correct President Obama at one time, and I know i don 't know if he got listened to it i haven 't heard back from the White House yet i 'm still waiting. But I want to do it one more time today. Muslims have not played a significant role in the history of America since its beginning. Let's go ahead and establish that principle. That's, that's, That's simply a lie. It's untrue. It's simply untrue. So history will, re- will reveal that to you if you'll look at it closely enough. But there are two, uh, here's what I believe. I believe, and these are the things that I've shared with you, and I want to clarify my narrow-minded viewpoints for just a moment. I believe my support for a political party and for politicians must evolve from my understanding of the Word of God. It's just simply the truth. That's where I start at, right there. That, so therefore, my Christian worldview comes from my understanding of the Word of God. And so there are two primary reasons I have never personally supported anybody on the Democratic platform. I'm just going to be honest and tell you today. Number one, it's because of the Democratic platform's support for abortion. Just being honest with you today. And number two, it's the Democratic platform's support for gay marriage. Those two things. And any time a pastor begins to talk about these things, you always know there's a sensitive nature to it and it's not easy to rightfully, to rightfully handle it because at any moment there could be somebody in the congregation that had gone through the pain of an abortion and that we grieve with you and we pray for you and pray for your healing and hold no animosity towards you. But we do have animosity towards the practice and the procedure. And also in today's culture at any moment somebody from a gay or lesbian lifestyle could come into the church. And in in no wise do we want them to feel like we are not reaching out to them in love in the name of Jesus. Because we believe that the same blood that separated us from our sin and moved us into righteousness with God that same blood can set you free as well. We believe that with all of our heart in the name of Jesus. So let me go a little bit further today. must have turned the clock off. I don't know what time, but I've got to finish. I've started. I might as well finish. So y'all stay with me for just a few moments. See, I don't support the philosophy it's a woman's right to choose. See, I believe sexual intercourse is the choice. Pregnancy is the consequence. That's just simply my belief. I know that there are sometimes rape victims. I know there's incest. I know there's some atrocious things that people have endured. And I know, and I'm not here to debate that, but I'm just talking at the context of de- abortion on demand for just a moment of time I believe life begins in the womb not outside of it see I believe that when John the Baptist six months of age inside his mother's womb when his mother heard the salutation of Mary the mother of Jesus the life of Jesus that went through the vocal cords of Mary spoke to Mar- uh, spoke to Elizabeth she heard it it dropped down into the womb of Jesus and, uh, and John and John began to jump uh, on the inside And that, to me, shows me that there's life, come on, even prior to being born. So for just a moment, I believe that abortion is the taking of an innocent life. And it is either almost or altogether the equivalent to shedding innocent blood. There's the key. That's why we conservative Christians get labeled bigots. It's because, this right here, we know the Scriptures. And we know what happened in antiquity with cultures including Israel that practiced the shedding of innocent blood. They faced the judgment of God. And so in that degree, I'm narrow-minded. I don't believe aborting a baby is the equivalent of having your appendix removed. My narrow-minded viewpoint will never allow me to support the party that supports this procedure. And it's in their platform. You read it on your own. I have it here if you want it. It is posted in their platform. We have 16 fundamental truths as the assemblies of God, and we say, This is what we believe. The democratic platform says, This is what they believe, and that's what they believe. I myself, narrow minded, and stand opposite and won't ever stand on that platform. Number two, but I want you to understand when I teach or minister or preach in this context, what's driving me? It's my Christian worldview as the way that I study the Scriptures. I'm not saying that you study it this way. I'm not saying that you think the way that I think, but I'm just telling you that's where I've arrived at the place that when I have a platform, I open my mouth and I speak this direction because of this biblical belief right here. Number two is the same concerning gay marriage. Let me say this very carefully. When you take something that God in His Word has openly reproved as sin and our legal or our judicial system validates it and supports it, I view that as the broad way that leads to death. You know what? If you're a Christian, let me say this. If you're a Christian, that means you believe in Jesus. Jesus affirmed affirmed marriage himself with his own mouth. Here's what he said. He said this, In the beginning, God made them male... Are you all with me? And... Fill it in. Female. The city of Sodom was destroyed by the judgment of God. And it is always referenced as an eternal example in the scriptures. That means we're to look at it and we're to see that God did not put his favor upon it. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? And when Paul openly spoke against the sin of homosexuality in Romans 1, men leaving the natural use of the woman, Women lying with women, King James English, doing that which is unseemly, receiving in themselves the just recompense for their reward. So therefore, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do that which is unseemly. So here's my frustration. My frustration is heightened when believers who say they don't believe in homosexuality as an alternative lifestyle, and they say they don't believe in gay marriage, but they support the party that does. I struggle with that. And I don't see, I can't, that's an equation that's 2 plus 2 equaling 5. And I know Common Core may affirm that. And I know I had, uh, I know that I graduated at Wilburn. And I might not even have graduated as the valedictorian of 13 students. But at the same time, I cannot wrap my mind around that equation. I know there are other issues that often divide the major political parties, and I never tell you to get on this party or support that candidate, but I want you to know today that I have a biblical narrative. I have a biblical interpretation, and I apply it to my Christian worldview. It's narrow-minded, and it causes me to base my support initially based upon the Word of God. And I tell you what, I cannot change. I'm just being honest with you today. Daryl, join me on the platform. (laughs) Conflict it may create. Conflict it does create. But every now and then you just have to simply say, Jesus' ministry was confrontational and controversial. He warned me to beware when every man speaks good about me. Pats me on the back and says, you're doing a great job. Every now and then you got to be the salt and you got to be the light. I got it. My job as the pastor is to keep attempting to persuade you. I don't attempt to harm you, hurt you, belittle you, but my attempt is to persuade you. Study the Word of God. If you have never, if you are basing your decisions apart from the Word of God, then perhaps you're missing the heart of God in the matter. Go to the Word and study the Word and then let it evolve in your life. So, in closing today, If being narrow-minded means this right here, if it means I believe Jesus is the only way to the Father, then call me narrow-minded. If it means, number two, that the scriptures should shape my way of life, then call me narrow-minded. And number three, if it means my worldview should be in harmony with the Word of God, then call me narrow-minded today in the name of Jesus. So I hope I know this about myself. I know I'm the narrow-minded preacher. I hope I'm pastoring the narrow-minded church. I'm just being honest with you today. just hope so. Not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. Not trying to ostracize anybody, beat anybody up in the corner, belittle you and your... I'm not trying to do that. But I'm telling you, there is a great conflict in our generation to persuade you. Everybody wants to persuade you. Is that Right? Jojo, Shane, Brent, myself had a staff meeting this week. We talked about that wicked movie that's recently came out, Fifty Shades of Sin. The little bit that we knew about it, we talked about its origination and all those things. Jojo brought up a tremendous point. He said that they've shown that in order to promote this particular movie, which is nothing more than pornography is all it is, and sadistic and all those things. I don't care who wrote the book. That book it's sin in the eyes of God. Paint it any way you want to. Go uh, listen, it's evil. Just but it's not alone. There's a lot more evils, but since that's culturally relevant right now, let me talk about it for just a moment. JoJo said that they in their studies, they targeted in their advertisements of the movie every program that the 19 a 24 year old would be watching 19 to 24 when young adults are pliable impressionable setting their life course setting their philosophy the way they think the way they act the way they react and the church is often silent we're afraid to address controversial issues lest we offend anyone the Jesus that I serve offended his generation they said where did he get this authority you know where he got it from the scriptures and he lived his life with a clear conscience and he let the rest fall as it may and I'm telling you what that's where I'm arriving in my personal life if I'm following the word of God I'm not going to apologize for it my goal is to influence you that you can influence the culture around you. Come on now. Call us narrow-minded if you want, but that's okay. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life. But broad is the gate, and wide is the way that leads to destruction. Jesus was narrow-minded, and in certain areas, so should we. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed. The clock has beeped. It's past the noon hour. I'm 40-plus minutes into preaching, but this invitation is very important. It's very important, so please give me your attention for just a few minutes today. Search inwardly, if you would. Take no offense. You don't take offense when somebody comes on a commercial trying to sell you one thing. I'm simply trying to promote something that I believe in. It's a biblical mindset, a trusting in the Word of God. What is your philosophy of life? Are you offended in Jesus? He taught with authority. This pastor has attempted to teach with authority today, connecting a value system to the Word of God. What about you? Do you have a deeply rooted value system in the Word of God? Jesus warned you, beware. Beware of false prophets A false prophet can come to you in a commercial television. A false prophet can be a teacher at high school. A false prophet can be a university teacher who is promoting a way of life. A false prophet can be a political leader or a family member. A false prophet is one who is not doing the will of the Father. You've got to guard yourself. They're trying to shape your ideology. It's time for us to adhere to the Word of God. If you're here today, first and foremost, and you say, Pastor, I'm going to be honest. I need, I need to just deepen my understanding and my knowledge of the Word. I'm just going to be honest. I'm ignorant in these areas, and so therefore, I sway back and forth. I don't have a Christian worldview. I don't, have, I don't, even, I don't know some of the things you're talking about. Only you can correct it. I'll pray with you today right where you're at. If that's you, be honest today. It starts with just be honest. Inventory. Lift your hand up today. Let me see today. Is there some? Thank you. See those hands. That's sincerity. Thank you so much, sincerity. Number two today. You know, through this message, I've made these statements. It's our narrow-minded belief that Jesus Christ is the way to the Father. You're here today, and you visited our church, came with a family member, a friend, and you've sat and you've heard me preach. And in your thoughts, you thought, well, that preacher's kind of narrow-minded. That's true. I want you to focus for just a moment upon these words. That is, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the Father. No man comes to the Father but through me. You may have thought that just being good would work for you. You may have thought praying, following somebody else's example, that would work, and you don't have relationship with Jesus Christ. But today the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart right now, right now and you want to pray a simple prayer of faith and commitment committing your life to Jesus Christ going through the door entering in to the covenant that we have with God through Jesus and you'd like me to pray with you if that's you, slip your hand up today I want to pray with you right where you're at is there anyone? I see. thank you, thank you for that hand, thank you right there thank you so much, we appreciate it won't we stand up today and we're going to pray? I have a hand that's been raised. Several hands have been raised to commit to the Word of God. A hand that's been raised to commit to the Lord. A recommitment. It's a recommitment because I know this person and know the profession of faith, but it's a recommitment. So today, let's pray. Let's not slip out of here so quickly. Let's not grab our